I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Travis Baggett, an instructor in medicine at Harvard Medical School and Massachusetts General Hospital. Dr. Baggett has co-authored a perspective article on tobacco use among homeless people. Dr. Baggett, you've done research on several key medical issues among homeless people, including mental illness and food insufficiency. How would you rank cigarette smoking in terms of health effects and priority for intervention? Well, that's really a great question that gets at the heart of the tension around this topic. There's absolutely no doubt that homeless people have a lot on their plate. I mean, this is a population with a generally high burden of medical and mental illness, substance use disorders, and any number of life stressors. And given that, one might reasonably wonder whether we should be concerned with a relatively less acute issue like smoking. Now, I've been working clinically with homeless people for about 13 years, and I can say with certainty that for the majority of that time, my answer to that question of whether we should be concerned with this issue would have been no quite frequently. But, you know, over the past five years or so, I've changed my thinking on this issue. And the reason why is that we now have a fair bit of evidence from the U.S. and around the world to suggest that smoking actually causes a great deal of harm among homeless people. About three quarters of homeless people smoke, and that's a rate that's about four times higher than in the U.S. general population. And as compared with non-homeless people, homeless people have higher rates of smoking-related deaths, and they also have a higher prevalence of various illnesses that are either caused or complicated by smoking, like COPD, for instance. And these illnesses probably contribute, at least in part, to the very high rates of hospital and ED use that we tend to see in this population. So it stands to reason that from a healthcare and public health perspective, we should be looking more closely at this issue. And on top of that, we also know that a lot of homeless smokers actually do want to quit. So that suggests, at least to me, that they find this issue important as well. At the end of the day, we can't really categorically say whether smoking is more or less important than other issues like mental illness and food insufficiency, because that's really a judgment call that has to be tailored to the individual. We're simply saying that at a population level, this issue causes too many problems for us to ignore it. And so we need to find a way to address it in parallel with these other important issues. However non-urgent it may seem in the short term, in the longer term, smoking is just making our patients poorer and sicker and they want to quit. So let's start a conversation about how we can help them do that. You work with the Boston Healthcare for the Homeless program. Can you tell us about the typical interactions you have with patients in that program and what sorts of care they receive? Boston Healthcare for the Homeless program serves over 11,000 men, women, and children each year at more than 70 sites around the city of Boston, including clinics that are based at homeless shelters, at drop-in programs, at two large hospitals in the area, and we also have a standalone 104-bed medical respite program as well. Now, I work primarily in a shelter for homeless people with severe and persistent mental illness. My encounters with patients range in scope from problem-based walk-in visits to primary and preventive care visits. We do everything from soaking feet and trimming toenails to managing insulin and working up complex medical issues. Our population has, I would say, varying degrees of readiness to engage in care. So we take the approach of doing our best to meet them where they're at, to tackle tangible problems first, and then to move forward at a pace that they feel comfortable with. And working in that environment, what attitudes towards smoking do you see among homeless people, shelter workers, health care providers? How difficult do you think it would be to change those attitudes? 
Well, I think the attitudes towards smoking and this population and the people who serve them are mixed. On the one hand, smoking is everywhere. It is simply part of the culture. Not only do most homeless people smoke, but many of the shelter staff and outreach workers do as well. And as we noted in our article, healthcare providers themselves also have a history of helping homeless people get cigarettes in some cases. So there's a legacy of permissiveness here that's been around for some time. Despite that, I do see some kernels of change. At the annual National Healthcare for the Homeless Conference, there have been presentations on smoking cessation for each of the past several years. Just last month, Boston Healthcare for the Homeless Program hosted its second annual forum on addressing tobacco use in homeless people, and it was really well attended by a variety of staff who work with this population from sites all across the city. Within our program, we're now documenting tobacco use at every visit. Our AmeriCorps volunteers are trained to provide tobacco counseling. And each year, the program holds a butt-out campaign to build awareness around this issue. In my own clinical practice, I'd say that most of my smoking patients don't really like the fact that they smoke. Many of them want to quit or they think about quitting, but they often don't feel empowered to do it or they feel too overwhelmed with other issues. And on top of that, when everyone else they're around every day also smokes, it makes quitting really hard. So I think that tackling this problem requires that we reshape the culture of acceptability and expectation around this issue. There's no intrinsic reason why smoking must go hand in hand with homelessness. That's a cultural mythology that we've gone along with for too long, and the tobacco industry, quite frankly, has capitalized on that. The reality, as I mentioned earlier, is that smoking just makes our patients poorer and sicker, and as that message gets out there, I think we'll continue to see a shift in attitudes toward this issue. There is a recognized link between chronic mental illness and smoking, regardless of the housing status of the person. So to what extent does smoking among homeless people relate to the higher rates of mental illness in that group? Well, there's no doubt that homeless people have a disproportionate burden of mental illness, and this is a frequently cited reason for why smoking is so common in this population. But when we've actually looked at this issue in national data sets, we've found that the high rate of smoking among people who've been homeless isn't fully explained by their higher rates of mental illness. Also, we found that among homeless people, mental illness seems to be a much less powerful predictor of smoking than drug and alcohol use are. So while the burden of mental illness among homeless smokers is definitely a complicating factor here, and while I do think we have a lot to learn from the lessons of addressing smoking in people with serious mental illness, I think that perhaps an even bigger issue here is that of comorbid addiction. And one answer to that would be to consider bundling smoking cessation services with other addiction treatment services, since a body of literature now supports the idea of addressing tobacco use right alongside other substance use disorders. National rates of cigarette smoking have now fallen below 20 percent, which may mean that those who continue to smoke are the most challenging people to help quit. How difficult will it be to make progress in smoking cessation in the homeless population? Well, first of all, I think there's a common thread running through these groups of people who continue to smoke at high rates, whether we're talking about homeless people or people with mental illness or substance use disorders or people who've been incarcerated or people living with HIV or any number of other groups who continue to have high smoking rates. These are all groups of people who historically have been marginalized and therefore somewhat insulated from the diffusion of cultural norms around smoking. And these are 
are also groups of people with a lot of competing life issues, and that's contributed to this general sense of skepticism about the relative importance of quitting smoking. So I think that making progress on reducing smoking among homeless people is really three separate tasks rolled into one. The first task is to just get everyone on the same page about the harms of tobacco use in this population and the need for change. The second is to reshape this culture of acceptability around smoking. And then the third is to change the behavior of individual smokers. Now, I fully expect that this will be a long and difficult process, and I expect to be humbled many times along the way. But it seems clear that doing nothing about this problem is no longer really acceptable. So we feel like it's time to move the conversation toward figuring out what we can do. In fact, far from doing nothing, in your article, you outline interventions at multiple levels, individual, interpersonal, healthcare delivery, shelter, policy, to address tobacco use among homeless people. In all of that, are there some interventions that strike you as the most likely to be effective, the place where we should be beginning? Well, this is a complex problem, and quite honestly, I don't think that any single intervention will solve it. As you mentioned, we believe that interventions are needed at multiple levels of influence. It's worth noting up front that very few of the strategies that we mentioned in our article have any sort of empirical basis to them, where they haven't been empirically tested, at least. And so it would be premature to suggest that any are superior to the others. But rather, what we hope to do here was to outline a general framework for addressing this problem in a way that acknowledges the multiple ecological inputs on smoking among homeless people. Now, as clinicians, we have a tendency to focus in on changing individual behavior. And I think that certain novel strategies like financial incentives for quitting may hold some promise in this regard. In the very present-oriented worldview of a person who's homeless, immediacy is really important. And financial incentives provide immediate rewards for changing behaviors that typically have longer term, less immediate consequences. So conceptually, this makes good sense. And we're planning to test this strategy in the near future. But at the same time, we also have to think broadly about the social environment of the culture, as I mentioned earlier. Targeting individual behavior or individual smokers is important, but it's not enough. We have to also target all the people and places that homeless smokers contact every day. For that reason, I think that it's crucial that we partner with shelters and other homeless service agencies to create a unified anti-smoking message here. Although most homeless shelters are now smoke-free, smoking is everywhere around the shelters in the immediate vicinity. And as an aside for a moment, imagine for a minute a non-homeless smoker who's trying to quit, but has to walk past a group of smokers standing outside of his front door every time he comes and goes from his house. It's unlikely that that person is going to be successful in quitting. So taking that analogy to a homeless setting, maybe there's an opportunity here to work with shelters to create designated outdoor smoking areas so that homeless smokers who want to quit or who are trying to quit don't have to walk through a curtain of smoke just to get in and out of the place where they're staying. At the same time, we maybe could be a bit more creative about getting nicotine replacement therapy and other treatments out into the shelters to help people get through their cravings to smoke without feeling the need to go join that crowd of smokers standing just outside the shelter door. And finally, since smoking is such a prominent social activity among homeless people, shelters would also be a natural location for piloting group or peer-based interventions. So again, all of these areas deserve further investigation to tease out what really works in this population, what doesn't work, and what some of the unintended consequences might be. 
more generally, what can physicians and the healthcare system do to improve the health of homeless people? Well, the vast majority of healthcare professionals will take care of a homeless person at some point in their career, if not at multiple points. And in truth, it doesn't require any special skill set other than the same commitment to being patient-centered that defines good care in any other setting. In our own work, we try to understand where a patient is in their life and what their goals and priorities are, and then we proceed in a way that's mindful of those things. What makes the work seem somewhat exotic at times is the circumstances and comorbidities of the patients that we serve and the creativity sometimes required to meet their needs. Here in Boston, one of our core philosophies is to meet patients where they're at, both figuratively and literally. For that reason, we have clinics at most of the shelters and drop-in facilities around the city because we've learned that if you wait for homeless people to come into a conventional care setting, then it's generally much later in their course of illness and often more difficult to alter that course of illness. But Delivering tailored care like this requires resources, and sustaining this type of care model requires systems of financing that uh, recognize the complexity of this care and reimburse for it accordingly. Here in Massachusetts, we're fortunate to have a universal health insurance system, and that's gone a long way toward helping our patients receive the care and the medications that they need. But despite that, we still find that our patients die too young and at too high a rate. And for us, this is a humble reminder that not only do we need to continue our efforts at identifying emerging health trends in this population and adapting our care model to meet those needs, but we also have to acknowledge that medical care alone can't cure all of our patients' misfortunes. And so we need to be not just healthcare providers, but also advocates for social justice and voices in support of the need to end homelessness. Thank you, Dr. Baggett.